This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. I'm going to take his face off. No more drugs for that man. <laughs> no more drugs for that. All I'm right, not dead. Uh, oh. I'm me. <laughs> I can eat a peach for hours. How many so of these much. do you want to do? There's a lot. We have to save some for our favorite lines. I know. We watched the movie Face Off. Face Off, finally, guys. It's a classic. Yeah. Before we get started, we want to, first of all, thank everybody who's ever listened to this show. Yeah. We have had so much fun doing this show. We have decided to bring this to a close and do five more episodes that are like our favorite movies. Yeah. We've had a ton of fun, but there's a lot of ways to have fun in the world. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. But we also wanted to, you know, pay homage to a lot of our final, you know, our top four favorite movies, but we ended up choosing five because we didn't want to let go. Right. But anyway, my my final two <laughs> include Face Off. So this was this was my choice. It's a huge part of my life. 1997, big one. It me too. It's a yeah. It's a great movie. But before we even get into the show, just so you guys all know, we're not going anywhere really. I mean, we've got we've each got our own Twitters and Instas, and mm-hmm. you can keep tabs, and you can always re-listen. And I also think that like. This is a show where it could go on forever and we could keep finding more cool stuff. And I think I would love to do that. And I'm going to keep researching stuff in my own life. But I do think that it's going to be a lot of fun to be like, okay, what are these last like five episodes of stuff that we really want to talk about before we bring this to a close? And whether it's just like actual subject matter or just really getting to live in that nostalgia and having these moments with these movies, because that's what's been so fantastic for us is like, you know, we, we love watching movies, but I find myself watching movies in a whole new way now and really really diving in and realizing that nothing is ever just a movie there's always so much more the personalities the ideas the concepts the history all that goes into it it's been fucking awesome and that's not gonna stop and we appreciate you guys sticking with us along the way and i also want to kind of like start thinking in terms of the commonalities of things that we've learned over these gonna be 80 episodes Mm -hmm. like there i want to start like thinking about like what are all of the themes that we kept learning about and like what what did i take away ultimately from this entire experience yeah, man, if I had a nickel for any time I said, we've talked before in this show right. about X, Y, or Z, <laughs> exactly, you know, it just, exactly. it shows you that there's, there's so much. And the more that I learn, the more I know how little I know. Mm-hmm. And it's, fuck, it's a big, bright, beautiful world out there. But if you guys have like had any thoughts on any episode that we've ever done or anything, you know, about the show itself, get in touch with us. Like yeah. we're going to be doing five more. I'm really excited about them. And, yeah. you know, let's we love hear you from guys, you. We man. love you guys. <laughs> so without further ado, let's listen to the face off trailer, shall let's we? Do it. Do it. I've been um, chasing this guy ever since I joined the force. He he has no conscience and he uh, he shows no no remorse. He's the mastermind behind numerous bombings and political assassinations. He's the most dangerous and brilliant criminal mind I've ever known. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. care if I live. You're not having any fun, are you, Sean? Try terrorism for hire. We'll blow some stuff up. It's more fun. Plan B. Let's just kill each other. 
my god, I forgot about that fucking trailer. I know the <laughs> opening that's not in the movie. Ah, I must become I'm him. Just you know, the pan around to it's like, what's happening to John Travolta in the shadows? Is he becoming Nick Cage? As he slicks his hair back, he is Cage. Oh my god! And also, there's very little wordage in there. There's just a yeah. lot of bam, 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 bam. So and then it's try terrorism. It's more fun. Yeah, you you heard it. <laughs> you you all heard it. <laughs> anyway, we don't have to. So obviously, I found a lot of fun tidbits about this movie. What a Emotional roller coaster, almost as dramatic as the the trailer itself. Wow! So of course this came out in 1997, very mm-hmm. good year. But <laughs> it, it was, was a very a good, good year. year. It always is. Titanic, virtuosity. There need was a, I say you more? Need you say more? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, of course. A couple of the taglines are: "In order to catch him, he must become him." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then to destroy your enemy, you must find him, face him. And then become him. <laughs> I mean, so, it's all correct. Gotta add a little face. I mean, I, I do love this movie because it's got its ideas and its premise and its theme. And it only plays to those. Right. Often to the sacrifice so of reality. Oh, yeah. And that's fine because it's all in the service of getting these thematic ideas together. Yeah. Now, quick side note before we jump into the facts around this movie, we've saw this movie a couple of like a few years ago, yeah. well before we started the show mm-hmm. and kind of looked at each other and we're like, I don't know if we ever need to watch this movie again. <laughs> like, I really thought that that was the last time. And then a couple of years passed, mm-hmm. some time. And he was and like, like, wait a minute, I, went, I do need no, to revisit I it. I need to watch it again. And so, of course, last the last time we watched it, I was like, well, maybe this is the time I never need to see it. But I feel like every couple of years, I'm always going to need to face off. Yeah, you're going to have to face face <laughs> off, yeah. you know? This fucking movie, the script was originally written in 1990 by two UCLA film school grads by the names of Mike Warb and Michael Kaliri. So they, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I actually, I think that's the writers of The Mask oh. with Jim Carrey. Oh. Which is also about a face being put on <laughs> yeah. and taken off. Face related. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's and, fucking uh, crazy. And that was what, 94? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the later on, they wrote the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider movie. Okay. So they oh. have a career. Yeah, they had some stuff going on. But anyway, so they ended up selling the face-off script to Warner Brothers, but as Werb put it, they never understood the script. They'd mm. originally written it with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone in mind. That would have been interesting. Dude, tall oh, man. That would have been a very different movie. Absolutely. But Stallone was attached to Demolition Man, and the studio saw the movies as as being too similar to each other, so they decided to make one and shelve the other. I hear that. Understandable, but also, yeah, what a year. What a time, You should have chosen Face-Off. 1990. (laughs) When did we... Demolition Man came out... out 93, I think. okay. But I'm just thinking about, like, if Demolition Man had been Face-Off, but with those people, where it's like, Stallone has to become... Yeah, Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. Oh. (laughs) It's like... Yeah, just mm. recipe for insensitivity. Recipe for insensitivity. (laughs) Now, Rob Cohen was originally supposed to direct the movie, but when it went into turnaround, he instead made Dragonheart, which I haven't seen in a while, but I love that movie. Wait, was that with Connery? Sean Connery is the voice of the dragon. Wow, I haven't seen that since it came Uh, out. I used to love it, which probably means it was dreadful. Who knows? Probably. But Rob Cohen also went on to make The Fast and the Furious, so, you know, he was fine, even though it went into turnaround. And also, I I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but Arnold Schwarzenegger and Stallone did not end up making Face Off, but they did eventually make Escape Plan. Yeah, I know. I 
I actually enjoy the hell out of that movie. Which is crazy because it's also like it's about them escaping from a futuristic middle of the ocean prison similar to the one in Face Off. Yeah. In fact, the whole time I'm watching that movie, all I could think about was like, oh, they made a movie out of that prison idea, which I think is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, but when Warner Brothers, the rights to Face Off expired, someone at Paramount who knew about the screenplay jumped on it. Mm -hmm. And so Warbin Kaliri got to sell the same screenplay twice. That's amazing. But it's awesome. Joel Silver was first optioned as the producer before Michael Douglas came into the picture, Mm. which I didn't know that Michael Douglas had produced a bunch of movies in the past. Like he produced one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Starman. Wow. Well, I guess because he comes from this filmmaker family Family, or at least acting family with Kirk as his dad. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, I, I didn't really like. I didn't know that his producing credits went all the way back to the '60s. With, yeah, with that totally, and like some that he that he produced and starred in, like *Romancing the Stone*. I mm. guess he was. So I, the screenwriters had originally hoped that he would star in it with Harrison Ford before he became that could have worked the producer that yeah. could have totally worked because I think that Michael Douglas as the Sean Archer character could have been amazing oh yeah like, consider some of these other crazy duos Bruce Willis and Alec Baldwin mm-hmm. wow Al Pacino and Robert De Niro Avi Stephen Baldwin and Pauly Shore right? <laughs> I was like no oh and then Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal Wow. Which was like, you know, yeah. what are the different powerhouses for yeah, 1990? Exactly. But also they don't specify like who would play who. I think at one point Patrick Swayze was even looked at. I, I read that when they were thinking of Stallone and Schwarzenegger, they were thinking that Stallone would be Sean Archer and Schwarzenegger would be Caster Troy. Oh. Which I feel like Schwarzenegger Reverse. shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's not good at being a bad guy. I don't. Is that what you're saying? No, yeah, I mean, he's great what, at being the Terminator, but, you know, he didn't. Well, because they would both play both roles effectively. Yeah, exactly. But still, I just feel like this muscly terrorist yeah. seems weird. They're bo- I mean, that's what's so crazy is it's really hard for me to imagine anything besides Travolta and Ex- Cage. Yeah, I know. I read that Nicolas Cage did not want to. To be Caster Troy because he didn't want to be the villain. But then uh-huh. he found out that he was essentially going to be playing the hero for the entire time. And then in the meantime, John Woo had made Broken Arrow with John Travolta, who played right. the villain in that too. Mm-hmm. So it kind of worked out. Now, here's what's crazy about even just the script face off because the original script was super futuristic sci-fi mm-hmm. and it was mostly set in that floating prison that was that's called Erewhon, which is an anagram of nowhere. Oh, how clever. Yes. Now, that is a title of an 1872 satirical novel by Samuel Butler, and it's about a city where the protagonist is imprisoned and where normal rules of society are reversed. Hmm. So the writers of Face Off were originally calling it Birdman of Alcatraz in the future, which I I don't know Birdman, but it sounds pretty fucked up. Are you familiar? Yeah, I watched it a long, long time ago, but they portray Birdman, who was a real person, as being like this, like nice criminal who I think was not so actual nice in real life, Uh but he cared about birds and he kept birds and in his cell. Oh, this is a real guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, well, that's one of the things I want to look into. But like, in the script, in this prison, some of the prisoners hung upside down from the ceiling by their boots with IVs collecting bodily fluids. Oh, So it was like real fucking weird at the time. Yeah. And we were commenting, even in the Erewhon prison, we were just like, aren't those magnetic boots the same worn by the Goombas and Super Mario yeah, Brothers? We, and they, they are. <laughs> they are literally the same boots. <laughs> the same They ones. look like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some boots fly and help you jump like Mario, and right. the other ones lock you down. It would be interesting if the movie was set in the prison. I don't know if the whole thing's set there, though. I don't know. I just, again, well, it would just be a different movie. It would yeah. be more like Shawshank or something totally. like that, but about like a guy who's got to become somebody's brother mm-hmm. and then go into the prison and like convince him that he is his brother. Right. Like that whole like thing that happens in one scene could be a whole movie. That's true. If you pulled it out and, and like 
Well, that's did true. a story structure. We kept day. commenting. We're like, and there's so much movie left. He hasn't even escaped the prison yet. It's which the escape from the prison is so non a thing. Like so he just jumps into the water and, and then, then he appears LA. on LA. <laughs> but actually, when it comes to experimental prisons, I read a very little thing about this because I was looking to see are there any in the middle of nowhere like this? Oh yeah, besides Alcatraz, that's a museum and shit. Right, right. And as far as we know, not really. Yeah. But I did read about an experimental prison in Norway, where they're trying this experiment of treating the prisoners great. Yes, yes, I've heard about this. There's like saunas and yeah. stuff like that in the prison, uh-huh. and they treat everybody with like a lot of respect, and the prison now has the by far the lowest reoffending rate in all of Europe. I think I actually, uh, Michael Morin, his most recent mm-hmm. uh, documentary where he went and like visited, I forget what the fuck it was called, but it was just a way to shit on America, basically. Right. But they, they talk about that, yet, yeah, and like the convicts, they're like, you know, they're chefs now and right. doing stuff, and it, right. it's, a, it's very truly diametrically opposed to the American criminal justice system. Right. The idea of treating people with a little more respect in this scenario doesn't seem crazy to me. No, not at all. I'm on board with that. So in terms of the futuristic elements of the original script, this was all essentially to justify the face transplanting technology. Right, right. So Mike Werb, one of the screenwriters, got the idea from a friend who had a hang gliding accident where they had to remove most of the skin from his face, reconstruct the bone matter underneath, and put his face back on. Wow. Anyway, so all of this futuristic shit is why John Woo did not initially want to direct it. He was saying, quote, I want more character, more humanity. If there's too much science fiction, we lose the drama. Right. But as the project evolved at Paramount, the writer's changed the futuristic elements and then focused on the characters who was then approached again accepted and of course like I was saying before he in the meantime made Broken Arrow with John Travolta so right. he I guess he felt a little bit more equipped or whatever to make a, although is Broken Arrow like super sci-fi Broken no. Arrow is basically about a nuclear weapon gets shot down in the oh, desert and okay. the question is like who's gonna get to it first some terrorists or the good guys gotcha and so okay. it's Christian Slater's the good guys John Travolta's the bad guys and it's about a lost nuke understood so it's not really sci-fi it's just kind of like about a, a right. scary situation right definitely still set him up for some booms and bars oh there were some <laughs> booms and bars <laughs> I read that Nicolas Cage and John Travolta spent two weeks together before filming to learn how to play each other, and they decided uh-huh. on specific gestures and vocal cadences to mimic, which you kind of see throughout. You're like, oh, yeah. oh, that was a that was a choice. Yeah, definitely. Like that was a Nick Cageism yeah, coming out of that's uh, Nick Cage as John Travolta as Castro exactly, Troy exactly. as John Arch- whatever. <laughs> yeah. So like even the part where John Travolta jokes about this ridiculous chin or whatever right, he makes right. that comment that was that was John Travolta's idea because he's saying, well, Castro Troy is such an egomaniac he would hate having someone else's face so I threw that in there which is funny because I had also read on IMDB that John Travolta like approached the writers and was like hey are you making fun of me with that line and they had to explain (laughs) it to him and I'm like no by the time this movie was made like his chin was its own punchline like it would be preposterous of course we're making fun of him it's a chin that's famous yeah and it's also not like a badly looked on chin it's not even like a Jay Leno like it's too big it's sort of like look at that amazing chin it's unlike (laughs) any chin I've ever seen in my life so it's like yeah I'm sure he was his idea these actors are all vain he's like my chin is my money maker people not like it grease lightning Joan Allen was John Woo's first choice for Eve, which She's amazing. I loved her, man. The studio, of course, wanted to go with someone much younger and make her a stepmom, but John Woo fought for Joan. I think she's part of what makes that whole thing so great. Is like oh, yeah. you don't expect Joan Allen to be she's like put a in real like mom. A, a sexy light. Yeah. And they totally shoot her that and way. Like a bone in your wife. <laughs> and like wow on her butt and stuff. I guess Juliana Margulies 
turned down the role of Sasha that Gina Gershon ended up playing because of okay. her, her ER schedule. Uh-huh. But that totally could have worked. John Woo cast Gina Gershon based on her performance in Bound, which is like super sexy, 1996. Her and uh, what's that girl with the fucking voice? Damn. <laughs> girl with the voice yeah the really high like she's in liar liar she's known as having jennifer like tilly? jennifer tilly yeah, yeah i was i on my head went to jennifer tilly <laughs> before was, you that's said so, you know liar, the, liar. i was gonna be like liar liar bride of chucky i uh, <laughs> fuck i don't know but uh, so the studio had wanted sean archer and sasha to sleep together when he's disguised as caster troy but uh-huh. john woo and the writers argued against it which i'm like Thank goodness someone stood up to the fucking studio. Already yeah. I appreciate the John Woo fought for Joan Allen, but it's like it would completely undermine the whole Sean Archer character if, if he's he just went, like, now I boned her. Right. You know? I, I mean, I do think that it's a question to be asked yeah. in the writing process of this, of like, should that happen? Yeah. Because it does make a lot of sense as they become each other and then become good at being each other yeah. that they have to fully embody each other's lives. Right. And one is sleeping with the other. But yeah, it's ultimately the right choice to not have Absolutely, it because it's like you could at least show the difficulty of that. Like she, they at least showed the the conflict. Mm-hmm. She tries to hit on him and right. seduce him. And right. he's like, no. Right. They at least approach it with the fact that Joan Allen had been living with Castro Troy right. as her husband for a while so it's clearly acknowledged that they'd been having sex and but it he's just like would drugged be, the whole yeah. in that scene I could totally picture a justification yeah. but yeah I think it is better narratively for Hell him not yeah. to well and also the special edition DVD contains several deleted scenes including an alternate ending in which Sean Archer looks into a mirror and Eve gasps as she in the audience sees Castro Troy's face as Archer's reflection <laughs> this is one of those just like I still know what you did last summer right, yeah totally so <laughs> originally the the, the like surprise kid ad- adoption shit at the end and like surprise mm. Castor Troy's son is living with us that had been a part of the original writer's story but Paramount didn't think audiences would like the idea of the protagonist adopting the enemy's son but then the test audience ended up being like super unsatisfied mm. with a very ambiguous ending and wanted to know what happened to this kid especially because right. they right. had already done the somewhere over the rainbow montage of right. like violence ensuing and mm. through the eyes of a child and stuff it's sort of like so what happened to the kid man right like, uh and both of his parents are dead. Yeah. Like, yeah, you want to you want a little closure there. Right. But I still find that scene to be of all of the most ridiculous things in this movie, the most unbelievable yeah. thing. Yeah. Because he looks to Joan Allen in his eyes <laughs> and asks if it's okay to adopt a, a child. child. As though it was and a child. And she like and nods. She's like, mm-hmm. she's like, definitely. And like, daughter has already been like, let me show your room. They've already been face water falling all over the place. They've been face water falling everywhere. I know. That is so, because then it's like the really dramatic music that's like, yeah, oh man. I know. Just how it and would go. And the daughter's like, can we keep them down? Yeah. Oh my <laughs> fucking God. Totally. Now, final, final point before we get started with the show show (laughs) the studio wanted to take the slash out of the title but john woo kept it in so that people wouldn't think it was a hockey movie (laughs) (laughs) that's really fun there were a lot of hockey movies in that era like van damme was with mighty ducks oh yeah (laughs) sudden death was the van damme movie right oh right Yeah, totally, like, completely different movie. It's oh, like, yeah. we're going to have a like, face-off yeah. on the eyes. But it's still, like, the slash doesn't exactly drive home that the no. face is coming off. Yeah. I would <laughs> No, what does that is the 15-minute monologue of Nicolas Cage being like, I want to take his face, face off. <laughs> uh, I love this movie. Science. So in the process of looking this up, I found out that face transplants are real. Mm-hmm. 
The surgeries are incredibly difficult to pull off for the reason that any transplant of an organ or skin grafts or anything like that are incredibly difficult to do Mm -hmm. because there's so many connections and the way in which the body tries to reject the new tissue. You're putting something that is from a completely different chemical environment, which is somebody else's body and their chemistry that's been made up since they were born, Right. that your body then tries to fight as like a foreign tissue. Oh, understood. Okay. So people have to take serious anti-rejection drugs whenever they have a transplant to make sure that the its immune response doesn't attack the new tissue. Mm-hmm. So I read about a woman who was mauled by her dog while she was passed out on sleeping pills, Oof. which that's a scene me. that's horrifying to even consider. Oh my God. She had a face transplant and lived for about 10 years, or at least it was like a partial face transplant yeah. or something like, like that. Like skin grafting or something. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. From somebody else. And she ultimately died of cancer which they think was related to the drugs that she was taking because these drugs really fuck with your body. But right now, the whole surgery is being used for people who need like severe facial reconstruction. Yeah. But you also got to wonder, like once this surgery, which is currently on the forefront of our medical abilities right now, Mm -hmm. becomes easy to do or at least like commonplace, it's going to move from being for facial reconstruction after an accident and into cosmetics and various other things. Yeah, man. Because I was reading about this real life face transplant happened in 2012. There was this guy, Richard Norris, who'd accidentally shot himself in the face with a shotgun in 1997, the same year that Face Off came out. Holy (laughs) shit. So he ended up fucking blowing off his nose, cheekbones, lips, tongue, teeth, jaw, and chin, still alive somehow. But he eventually found this reconstructive facial surgeon in Baltimore, and he underwent went a, like dozens of surgeries that were using his own flesh mm-hmm. like they they tried to create a nose shaped appendage from the tissue on his forearm or create oh. like a makeshift chin from the flesh on his legs oh etc but then in 2012 the surgeon took a 21 year old dead man's face that kind of I guess just like slipped off in one go I mean because again it is just surgery it's just you know right. being very careful and getting through all of those capillaries and stuff mm-hmm. but then he essentially just attached it midway back on Richard's scalp stabilized it with screws tapped the jaw together and then draped the skin and sewed it down like a patch onto a pair of jeans. Oh my God. It was a 36 hour surgery. And, and so guys, like I found this crazy article in GQ. I'll include the links in the show notes. I just got those details, but then it talks about like his life and to see his, the before and after is insane. So the fact that that possibility is there is awesome. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the ethics of where that goes, because eventually, like you said, it's not going to be just out of necessity. Right. But where I get confused is how much bone structure plays a part. You know Mm. what I mean? It's not like hot people are not just hot because like their skin on their face. No. It's because their bone structure is really good. Right. Well, I know with some of these facial surgeries, it does reconstruct using plastic underneath Mm -hmm. the skin so that you get the facial structure because sometimes, yeah, like a cheekbone is gone, but only one cheekbone. Right. Well, so I guess like what would happen is people, which people already do to get their faces to look like, you know, Angelina Jolie Mm -hmm. or whatever, Mm -hmm. you just get some fucking crazy cheekbone mass in there. Or maybe someday you could just have her face <sighs> that's fucking crazy what how much th- could somebody pay yeah for that face oh i don't know oh and then i also found that because you know the whole thing they change voices too in the movie right right but 
this reconstructive surgeon, he was talking about like, you know, when, when someone gets a tracheotomy, they, they have an artificial speech implant put in and it sounds very robotic. So certainly not right now or in any time mm. in the future is it going to be possible to either like really simulate someone else's voice or certainly have it as seamless as in the movie. Well, that's the thing. Like the, through software, you can manipulate somebody else's voice to make them say things yeah. that it doesn't sound like they've right. said. And robotic voices have come a long way from the Stephen Stephen King from the Stephen Hawking, Hawking era. Right. But still, like for me to just speak and make it sound like your voice yeah. is not something that we're anywhere near. Right. Yeah, not at all. Oh yeah, there's no lasers. No lasers need to take place in these face transplants. Okay. Like they just they just use knives. They just use knives. It takes But it's time. more futuristic. If it's, you use yeah. lasers. It's, <laughs> I mean, that is what's sort of amazing about this movie is that it's like, <laughs> let's eliminate all the futuristic elements. We want to focus on the characters, but we do live in a world where it's possible to laser these fuckers' faces off, suction cup it off, and then plop it onto Well, it. as much as they focus on the face thing, it's really the body morph that they do right. that's the most fucked up thing, which they're just like, yeah, and then the body becomes the other body. Yeah. And you're like, oh, what? Wait. Yeah, exactly. Like, we can even decide whether or not to keep your birth mark or your scar or whatever but it's like this guy has broader shoulders than the other guy like are you shaving down his shoulders (laughs) right what are you doing all right so they mention interpol in this movie Mm -hmm. he's a you know caster Choi is a terrorist fugitive on the run and blah 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 they're involved (laughs) i've heard of interpol yeah me too the band the band and the police the international police agency anyway so interpol is an international police agency that helps other law enforcement agencies track criminals who operate across national borders so the full name is the international criminal police organization or the icpo it was originally called the international criminal police commission when it was formed in 1923. ICPO. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. ICPO. Oh. All right, shut up. No, <laughs> shut up, Troy. <laughs> so the headquarters were originally in Vienna, Austria. And what at the time, what they did is just published a journal containing wanted notices for international criminals. Okay. World War II interrupted its growth when the Nazis took over because they deposed the Secretary General and then moved the headquarters to Berlin. But after the war, the organization was rebuilt and the new headquarters was established in Paris. So the group then officially took the telegraph code name Interpol and then adopted this color notice system. So there's more than 3,000 of these colored notices that are issued each year, and police agencies worldwide can quickly be alerted about a particular situation or suspect. And the notices are color-coded as follows. Black means unidentified bodies. Yellow means missing persons. Green means general information and warnings about major criminals. Blue means individuals of interest related to a crime, including possible witnesses or potential suspects. Red is wanted persons. Orange, which was actually introduced in 2004, it's the first new type since 1946, it indicates a potential threat from hidden weapons or dangerous items such as a parcel bomb or substances that have been stolen. Mm. And then finally is the Interpol United Nations Security Council Special Notice, which is the newest category, and it's issued for groups and individuals who are the targets of UN sanctions against Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think that fundamentally it's kind of the same as when it was first started, at least in the, you know, the premise of being able to aid other police agencies around the world. Now, where it differs from most law enforcement agencies is that 
agents don't like actually make arrests themselves. Mm. There's no Interpol jail where criminals are taken. It's basically just an administrative liaison between the law enforcement agencies of the member countries. Of and the different countries in Europe? The, of the member countries of Interpol. It's There's 186 right. members. So I'm not it sure. expands yeah. more than Europe, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so, it, yeah, and it, and it provides communications and database assistance. So, like, for example... If FBI officers track a terrorist to Italy, mm-hmm. they may not know who to contact in the Polizia di Stato right. if the Polizia Municipale has jurisdiction over some aspect of the case. It's right. like, you know, being like, is it the FBI, the CIA, the LAPD, the and DA? The- like, this is who you talk to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, the FBI would just contact the Interpol National Central Bureau in Italy, which would be the liaison between the, the U.S. and Italian law enforcement agencies. Well, that sounds like it makes a lot of sense, yeah. the whole system. I yeah. didn't realize that they didn't have agents, but in a way, realize like the nature of uh, focusing on Europe I know that it goes beyond that but Europe is kind of like the United States in its geography Mm -hmm. in that you can move from state to state fairly easily easily, and so you would need an agency that can communicate with the different countries. We have the feds. We have the FBI, which also is different because it actually has agents and is like, you know, a police organization here. Yeah. But it's interesting to think of Interpol, and I never had thought of this before, but as like the world's FBI. Yeah. Like when things go interstate, there's a communication that needs to happen and you kick it up to these other people to help facilitate the all of that communication yeah, that's required. Yeah, like people that don't like bureaucracies, I could understand them mm. having an issue, but it's like, right. yeah, dude, okay, so we already struggle with just state laws, right? Like right. going state to state and certain things being illegal and not. Right. Imagine if then you add language or you add just mm-hmm. like all of these different elements that mm-hmm. would get really confusing when really time is of the essence if you're you're talking about international criminals, or, right? Yeah, exactly. So the Interpol headquarters these days, it, it's located in Lyons, France, mm-hmm. but it's fully autonomous and independent of any single country. It's politically neutral and does not participate in any action involving politics, race, or religion, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I don't know how they are able to maintain that like, right you know it well, sounds I mean, like the people who are in charge are people who believe that in the first place yeah well i could also just understand where it gets really dicey when you're talking about like theocracies and like when their right. policies are entwined with religious yeah. ideology right are theocracies a part of this those member nations yeah. I, I mean and if they're talking about al-qaeda or what you know or people right. that like at least seem to claim some sort of religious mm. ideology behind their actions i could see where it would get very confusing but yeah. still it's like murder is murder and there right. you know and communication between countries of the first world that are allies yeah. is something that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and also just being able to track criminals and crime trends around the world. They they maintain collections of fingerprints and mugshots and stuff, which again, mm-hmm. people might not like all of that data being stored, but mm-hmm. there's like DNA samples, travel documents, like all of the stuff that gets in the way of actual investigations happening. There's this secure worldwide communications network known as I-24-7, which allows Interpol agents and member countries to contact each other at any time. Then there's also, in the event of an international disaster, like a terror attack or an assassination or something, Interpol can send an incident response team and then they can offer expertise and database access and whatnot. So right now, the agency is really focused on several key areas of crime, including terrorism, sexual abuse of children and child pornography, organized crime, international fugitives, computer crime, identity theft and shit, human trafficking, the theft and trafficking of stolen art, 
is a particularly international crime because they're dealers and collectors all over the world. Mm -hmm. So Interpol maintains a database of stolen artworks and publishes documents showing clear photos of them so that art dealers and collectors can recognize stolen goods when they see them. Because if there's a forgery, or not forgeries even. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, if someone steals, if it's like, you know. This artwork is missing, don't buy it. Yeah. What was the... Was it Entrapment, where Sean Connery is the, the art stealer and yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yeah, it's Entrapment, but I'm always thinking of the Thomas Crown Affair with oh, yeah, totally. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Interpol isn't the only international law enforcement agency. There's also Europol, which functions like oh. Interpol. And actually, to, in order to get into the EU, you have to be a, a member of Europol. Oh. But And most of the funding comes from each of the individual member countries. They contribute a portion based on their gross domestic product and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, like, for example, one of the two 2004 Madrid train bombers was identified by cooperation between officials in Belgrade, Baghdad, and Madrid using the I-24-7 system. Following the 2004 tsunami incident response teams helped coordinate humanitarian and law enforcement stuff Mm. and like helped in identifying victims and stuff. Roman Polanski was a major focus of Interpol operation when he went to Switzerland to to accept an award. So he's been living in France since the late 70s to avoid the prison sentence, whatever he committed in Mm -hmm. California. But France has refused to extradite him whereas Switzerland seemed a little bit more apt to to do so. So when he went to accept this award, someone in the California, either the attorney general's office or the DA or LAPD, somebody got in touch over the National Law Enforcement Telecommunication System to the Interpol liaison at the FBI asking for help with the Swiss cops. So at some point, everybody was talking to each other. They got in touch with the appropriate Swiss agencies and they ended up arresting Polanski. But of course, their courts reviewed the case and elected not to extradite him. So he returned to France and still there but so you know again how regardless of how you feel about Roman Polanski it's just I don't know it, it certainly lends itself to the idea that it's like we are globalized and like well, there's yeah. there's a reason why we should keep in touch with each other and maintain allies yeah. in that regard you know thinking back this is obviously different but certain stories from the Cold War and our communication with the Soviet Union we almost got into major major conflicts because of a lack of communication right. which is why the red phone was introduced in the president's office oh yeah so you think about like the fact that uh, red red phone just as a reminder was that a way to it was a direct line to the Kremlin Okay, it makes sense. Which allowed, like, yeah, so like in case of like a crazy emergency, the president of the United States could pick up the phone and it would ring as like the let's fucking talk thing in Moscow. And so that like something like this crazy thing that almost happened where there was like a fax that went through and then you didn't get the fax or something like that and shit's going down in Cuba and you don't have information. And you're like, just the fax, ma'am. And then everybody's just going nuts. Right. (laughs) Shut up. So I looked into other kinds of crazy transplants, other than face transplants. (laughs) Sure. And you'd be shocked to hear people have tried head transplants before. That is shocking. Starting with animals. Okay. Ugh. Okay. When you consider what might be possible, of course somebody's going to be crazy enough to try this. Like... Organ transplants turned out to be a great idea that we generally approve of, but where does it stop? Mm -hmm. So beyond the ethical questions, is it literally possible? In the 50s, a Soviet scientist named Vladimir Demikov, who had pioneered organ transplant techniques earlier, transplanted a dog's head onto the body of another, creating a two-headed dog. He did a lot of these experiments. And it lived? It lived for 38 days. Okay. Apparently, the body was then 
after 38 days stuffed and given to a museum of history of medicine, I think in Latvia. Sure, sure. But a little while later in the 70s, there was a guy named Robert J. White, who was an insane person or a scientist, depending on who you ask. (laughs) Person, scientist. Which one? He transplanted one monkey's head onto the body of another monkey. Okay. The monkey survived, but was paralyzed because they had to sever the the spine at the neck. Jesus Christ. And I think getting nerves to work was way beyond anything that he was even considering. Oh, yeah. The cranial nerves within the brain were still intact and nourished by the circulatory system of the new body. The monkey could hear, smell, taste, eat, and even follow objects with its eyes. Wow. Eventually, after nine days, the monkey died because the body's immune system had rejected the head. Mm. Oh, yeah, which what you're talking about. Like, there's so much that's... That's about, like... You not only need a blood match, but you need an immune match and, like, all this kind of stuff. Exactly. Because the whole problem with the idea is that it's not like putting a light bulb into a new socket. Right. You're putting a head and brain into a new chemical environment with Mm -hmm. new neurological input. And as I mentioned, the makeup of your body has developed in a specific way that's unique to you since you were a sperm and an egg. Mm-hmm. So you would have to attach every single nerve and every single blood vessel. You would have to attach the spine and spinal cord and completely change the blood makeup of the donor body to match the head. Understood. Wow. Okay. Which also kind of like question that's like next to all of this is where is the soul? Yeah, Is exactly. it in your heart or is it in your head? Because right. if you... Put your head on somebody else's body, you right. still have all the memories that you have. Your consciousness. So, you know, oh, it is the head. That's bizarro. Apparently in the 90s, this guy, Robert J. White, wanted to try it on humans, and he practiced on corpses at a mortuary. And he wanted to do a head transplant for Stephen Hawking and Christopher Reeve, but it never, it never happened. Oh, fucking Frankenstein. <laughs> Wow. But then there was a guy just last year who claimed to be able to do a head transplant, and he did it on cadavers, and he claims that he's about to do it on live humans. And just last year, there was like a lot of articles that were like, is the head transplant about to happen? And people were pointing out that like, if he could really get the spinal cord to connect, like the the way he's claiming, Mm -hmm. he should be doing it on people with spinal cord injuries. Right, right. This lends itself to even my inner conflict with this because again it's like I'm so impressed by what we're capable of doing and Mm -hmm. certainly the more we figure out about the human body and like well why can't we recreate these electrical synapses that we make in real life in human bodies and stuff but again like but we're human beings like there's ethics like there's Mm -hmm. there's another level that you have to think about because Mm -hmm. again with somebody that has a spinal injury i feel like i'm more open-minded to something like this but that's never where it's going to end it's never just going to be out of necessity you know and i mean we were talking earlier about face transplants and how those are incredibly difficult because of the complexity involved but it's the same kind of complexity that's involved in a head transplant. Right. So head transplants may be something that in the future we could do. Mm-hmm. And would that be a form of immortality right. if you could keep Just like your move head, your brain. move your head from body to body? Body to body, because it's your body that breaks down. Exactly. Really. I mean, your, your head, head degenerates, your right. brain degenerates and stuff. But, but in the same way that your body does. But yeah. sometimes like if but, you had yeah. lung cancer. Right. But also, especially with all these new ways of who knows if they could just like keep that brain just nice and In a fresh jar, and just right. Never... The old yeah. Walt Disney folklore. This this kind of reminds me because we've talked a lot about the the, the small capillaries being the, like, you know, it's so complicated and such mm-hmm. complex systems that it's really hard. Certainly in the, 
the 3D printing realm mm -hmm. is that that's what they're dealing with. Right. Because right now they can 3D print an ear. They right. can 3D print just, you know, structures. Mm -hmm. But they're having a really hard time 3D printing the capillaries and some of these micro blood vessels within the body. Right. And I remember covering a few years ago on my other uh, the show that I did was like this guy basically utilized the same technology for a cotton candy blower what? to be able to like create those mini capillaries. But just I mean, oh, because oh, like they're little like strands yeah, kind of. Yeah. So you're using like you're using the mold. Uh -huh. It's almost like reverse cotton candy because you're right. creating the structure that has those little strands on the uh -huh. inside, which is where the blood would go. That's so again, and it's all very beginnings. But to imagine that it's like, what if you combine a 3D printer with a cotton candy machine <laughs> and then people would just create lungs and hearts and, <laughs> and heads yeah. to put on bodies? Yeah, totally. So the future is now. The but future is now and coming. also in the future. In the future. <laughs> <It's both. laughs> More in the future with this in this case. Castor and Pollock's Troy are the brothers in this movie. That's right. Crazy names. Mm -hmm. I knew that there was something there. There's a lot of symbolism in this movie, but Castor I was like... Castor and Pollux, it sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. So Castor and Pollux are the two brightest stars in the constellation Gemini. Oh. And incidentally, Sagittarius, the archer, or Sean Archer, you what? might say, is diametrically opposed, i.e. halfway around the year, from Gemini. Oh, shit. So and Gemini is the brothers, uh, right? Yes, the or twins. They're, they're twins. The twins, right, right. right. So in Greek mythology, Castor and Pollux were twin brothers. They fought together in the Trojan War, which, if you remember, was fought in Troy. Oh, I do remember that. <laughs> now, the twins were supposedly born from an egg after Zeus, disguised as a swan, seduced Leda. Now the which was a swan? Oh, a female. Okay. A female <laughs> She's swan? She's a female. I don't know if she boned the swan. Yeah, did I, she like, fuck a swan? There's a lot going on here with the Greek mythology. <laughs> now, the one twin Pollux was immortal, but Castor was mortal since he had another father. Mm. Because Castor's father was a human male named Tyndarius, who had slept with Leda on the same night as Zeus. Drama. Whoa, yeah, so she's the twins were two two different two different sperm, sperm donors, two different ejaculates, same twins. Wow. <laughs> one's mortal, one's immortal. Fascinating. Side note: Lita is also the mother of Helen of Troy. Okay. So they're half sisters. Okay. Their half sister is Helen of Troy. Now, the myth of Castor and Pollux has several different endings. In one, Castor's spirit went to Hades because he was a human, and Pollux, who was a god, was so devastated at being separated from his brother that he offered to share his immortality with Castor, or to give it up so that he could join his brother in Hades. So then Zeus took pity on his son Pollux and declared that the brothers would take turns dwelling in Hades and on Mount Olympus. So on one day, Castor would be with the gods, and Pollux would be in Hades, and then they'd switch the next day. Oh, seems an, like a good time, share. Yeah, it's like if you miss your brother, though, so this, yeah, that doesn't yeah, you're fix that problem missing at it. You're all. Two ships passing in the night. Yeah. Now, in another ending, Castor <laughs> remained in Hades, but Pollux was at least allowed to visit him every other day. So most versions, at least, of the myth say that Zeus placed the brothers in the heavens as part of the constellation Gemini, the twins, and they achieved some kind of cult following dating back even to the mid-6th century BC. I know that the Romans considered Castor and Pollux the patron gods of horses and of the Roman social order of mounted knights. But in Homer's Iliad, they are described as well-built with blonde hair and big eyes. In paintings or sculptures, the twins are frequently recognized by the skull caps they wear, which are the fragments of the eggs that they hatched out of. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> cute. a fun little detail. Yeah, just little eggs. 
Eggies, yeah. egg hatchies. I kept my shell. <laughs> That's right. I wear it as a hat. So St. Elmo's fire is a phenomenon that occurs during certain stormy weather conditions. It appears as a glow on top of tall pointed objects like the masts of ships. And it's okay. also often accompanied by a cracking noise. So when stars appeared on the heads of Castor and Pollux in Gemini during the voyage of the Argonauts, the twins became the special patrons of sailors. So from that time, sailors believed that St. Elmo's fire was actually Castor and Pollux coming to protect them from the Ooh. storm. So, you know, they would like give sacrifices and shit so that Castor and Pollux mm. could save them. And then they see the a glow stage. around their thing. And then they also see like some storm on the horizon. Yeah. And they're like, we'll be fine. Yeah. The glow and, is here. And then they just hear. <laughs> and then they just. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Castor! So, <laughs> final bit about that. The Spartans also saw the twins as a valued representation of the dual kingship concept. A dual kingship was a tradition in ancient Sparta, where the land was ruled by the kings of two royal families, and each king shared equal authority. So, mm. like, when one king went to war, the other would re- remain at home with mm. one of the twins and vice versa. So. Oh. You know, just utilizing religion to justify actions right. since day one, man. Well, that system of dual kingship sounds like in an ideal world, it would be the perfect way to do it. Yeah, if you were one of the kings, definitely. But it also sounds like it would just lead to, I'm the king of right. peace or war. Yeah, or wh- I think that's the problem is like, for whatever reason, humans still have a really hard time being like, I'm going to share power with Yeah, overcoming our egos and ids. Yeah. So they morph Archer's body into the body of Nick Cage. Right. We were talking about before how that was just, they were like, yeah, they are the bodies. Right. It's fine. And I, I did a little bit of research on stuff that people do to their bodies that are incredibly painful for the purpose of a fashion thing. Oh, God, so much. So do you remember a thing that was like about six years ago called bageling? Oh, God, No. This was in Japan. It oh, was a fad. Okay. And it was somebody would get saline injections in their forehead, which makes like this terrifying bulge yeah. with a dot in the center that looks like they have a bagel under their forehead skin. You know what's crazy is I have never heard that term, but when you first said the crazy shit that people do, I imagine, because I saw in like Ricky Lake in the 90s, somebody had gotten their face blown up like that. Right. And I was like, you look like a, f- you look crazy it right now. It looks weird. It looks gross. Right. Like Which, you have a tumor on your face. But we've also talked about how like anything to set you apart yeah. is something that people like. That's why conspiracy theories are believed yeah. is I like, mean, I'm unique. People shave their teeth to look like snakes. They fork their right. tongues to look like snakes. Or like, or shave their teeth to look like vampires. Totally. Or yeah. like there are people who have horns implanted in their foreheads to make them look like the devil. Yeah. And then they do tattoos to complete that yeah. look. Like, it's crazy to me. Like, what about those insane earrings where people stretch their earring hole, like, so wide? It's like, what's the deal with that? It's so fascinating because, like, at the same time in my life that I have become, like, way, way, way less judgmental in terms of whatever. I'm like, get whatever the fuck you want to do. I don't care. But then there are just some elemental things that I'm like, you, I'm sure you're not going to like it when you're an old person. Right. You're just not. Well, there's those choices. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, with, with your, with your ears specifically, like right. tattoos and piercings, I don't give a fuck. I mean, like there's so 
so many people have tattoos and piercings, mm. but like specifically the shit that you're like, bro, like you're already fighting gravity once you reach age 50 <laughs> exactly, and onwards. Exactly. Like those earlobes are going to be to your fucking knees. But then also there are cultures that do that kind of thing. That's right. like a part of their traditions the and lip, stuff. The lip thing, the, the, lip the stuff. neck thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard of the woman who has spent her entire life in plastic surgery to make herself look like a Barbie? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I that was going to say like, you probably shouldn't look pictures of of her because I feel like her entire philosophy on life is like the diametrically opposed to yours. Yeah, she's a fascinating fa- if it's the woman I'm thinking of I think though, it is. It's yeah, gotta she's be. like insanely famous but she is fascinating to me. It, like right. She to me goes way beyond just like the Kardashianing of our culture. Right, right. That's like some fucking OCD to a crazy degree and it, then unfortunately she's coming like she's popular at a time where it's like yeah. Kind of conducive for it, right? Like the Instagrams yeah. and the filters. She's more and... accepted by society than yeah. ever. Yeah. yeah. But what a crazy thing to do to yourself. Yeah. And on that front, one final thing that people do to themselves is a crazy body morphing technique to make yourself taller. I've heard about the bone growing. Yeah. So Ugh. only a few doctors even do this procedure. And basically what they do is they break your leg bone in two mm-hmm. and then they implant a telescopic rod into the middle of the broken bones, which slowly and continuously pulls them apart about a millimeter a day. Yeah. The new bone then grows around the telescopic rod and then muscle, nerves and arteries regenerate too. It's $85,000. And yeah. it takes about three months of excruciating pain and serious physical therapy to recover. But if you want to be a couple of inches taller... Right, because it's not a lot. Like, it, they can't grow you that much. No. I'm glad you brought this up because that's honestly my biggest issue with body modification of any kind. Right. Frankly, because there was a time in my life that mm. I can vividly remember truly wanting to get that procedure that you just talked the about tallness, done. yeah. Because I had been socialized into thinking that there was something wrong with me because I was small for so long. Oh and God. yeah, like I sincerely developed such a complex from how many people would like pat me on the head oh, or look man. at me like I'm younger or, you know, well, motherfucking doctors measured me when I was two. They told me I was supposed to be 5'10", man. I'm 5'2". Like, <laughs> you got, you're off. They were off. But anyway, but you know, but again, like, I have a really hard time really truly embracing any any kind of like aesthetic vibe because I acknowledge what goes into people right. doing those things. Right. And the like, things that the the things that have driven you to that choice. Right. That uh, to me I think it's a very disingenuous thing to suggest that it's like I do all of this for myself. There's no outside, no exterior motivations here. There's no pressure that I've right. been feeling. And so again, it's not a judgment for anything anything that people do. I just would really appreciate a little bit more honesty when people do it be like I was made to feel insecure about this thing my whole fucking life so I got a boob job like that's what I did you know it's like it's not that complicated but just when people act like it's like no I'm fully fully comfortable with everything about me well also there's solutions that aren't surgery like those shoes that make you taller Mm -hmm. like aren't there shoes what the greatest thing that happened to me was a little bit of time passed and Mm -hmm. I realized like all of those complexes that I'd built up in my 18 year old head Mm -hmm. were based on garbage like propaganda that I've been fed and luckily I was able to by the time now that I'm 31 be like what the fuck like I love being compact dude I love (laughs) Love being able to just like slip through the crowd. There's a lot. It's also, yeah, there's a lot to be said for every size person. Well, every tall friend that I've ever had hated being tall Mm. and I hated being short. It's like everybody is made to hate themselves. And Mm -hmm. so like what I would love to get to a point is like, 
people aren't made to feel that way about themselves to the point where they have to have like goo injected in their forehead. I know. Anything to make yourself unique. But then, yeah, yeah, this, this whole thing of making yourself taller, which... I originally almost looked into back in the Gattaca episode, oh, yeah. which was like our seventh episode oh, or something yeah. like that, because he has that surgery done to make himself look more like Jude Law. That's right. And yeah, for in that scenario, it makes more sense, but it's yeah. like, fuck. Also, it's pretty incredible what makeup can do, man. Like some yeah. of these, <laughs> like the drag queen Instagram <laughs> videos I watch where I'm like, wow, a little shading, some contrast, <laughs> some contouring, different face. Science. Did you have any favorite lines? That we haven't said? (laughs) Besides face off, Mm -hmm. casing fit like a condom. You know I can eat a peach for hours. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. That whole scene is fucking insane. The like, if I were to send you flowers. (laughs) Sorry, scratch that. (laughs) If I were to let you suck my tongue, would you be grateful? (laughs) Would you be grateful? Just like terrorist Nick Cage that's like, (laughs) you know, he's threatening, but... He's mm. not over the top. Like, right. he did just want her to suck his tongue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I wrote yeah, down ahead. the line, you trust that billion dollar satellite, I'll trust a $10 snitch at this point. Yeah. <laughs> of course, there's the, it's like looking in a mirror, only not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then last two, I wrote down a lot because there's... We'll take a break when the case breaks, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally... I don't know. When we pull this in, you can brand the Fourth Amendment on my butt. Because, okay, Fourth Amendment has to do with unlawful search and seizures. Right, and they were talking right. about, like, going into his place. And it's like, it's we're like, not allowed to go give, in there. But right. if we get in there, you know, whatever. Fuck those Bill of Rights. Yeah. I got a terrorist to catch. Yeah. So when we were watching it, there was part of me that was like, Fourth Amendment? Question mark? And I was like, I don't. <laughs> oh, that's just what it is. And search and seizures. Yeah. <laughs> but that being said, some topics that I do want to explore. Like I said before, Birdman, definitely. Mm. I'm like, I'm so in the dark about who this guy is and yeah. whatever. And then blood types. Because right. one thing that we didn't talk about is that there's that whole segment where they talk about the, the blood types. Where like Sean Archer's blood type is O negative, right. which is the universal donor. Right. And Castor Troy's blood type is AB positive, which is the universal recipient. Other so diamond. You know, to get John Wooey with it, it's like reflect, you know, this reflects Archer's role as a policeman dedicated to serving the community Mm -hmm. while Troy is someone who takes from society. But it didn't make me at least interested in blood types or whatever. So even if it's not on this show, I in my life will educate myself about blood types. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll even find an opportunity in the next four episodes. That's true. Perhaps blood will probably come up a while. I think it will. One last thing that I wanted to mention is like, I remember reading a little while ago about crazy dictators and some of the insane shit that they've done. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a whole other crazy dive because there were also like people who bathed in dolphin blood oh. or like the the blood of the young. They would be like, if, we, if I bathe in that, I'll live forever. Sure, sure. Classic. There's classic. a lot of insane stuff. But in the process of learning about that, one of these, there are no rules, I am the ruler dictators sure. named Enver Hoxha. Hmm. was the leader of Albania. He kidnapped a dentist who lived in a rural area Uh and kind of looked like him and forced him to have a crazy amount of plastic surgery to make the resemblance better. And then the dentist had to leave his life behind and pretend to be the prime minister, presumably until he was eventually killed in an assassination attempt. What the fuck? It's like Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah. It was Man in the Iron Mask about like a... a Well, no, because the guy, the Man in the Iron Mask looked like Louis. Oh, that was the problem? Leo DiCaprio. And then they made, well, I mean, it was, you know, all for one, one for all. We're going to put you in there. You know, three musketeers were involved, but it's the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, a 
apparently after the regime collapsed, the dentist disappeared and nobody knows what happened to him. But he was this guy who was just kidnapped and forced into this life. What era was this again? This was in like the 70s. Oh! This is like not that long ago. Oh, I was like 1794. No, no, because Hawksaw, the the dictator, he was so paranoid that he had 750,000 small bunkers built placed randomly around the country that he could hop into if he needed. Yeah. He also banned color televisions and typewriters until the 1980s. Jesus Christ. And that was because they were a distraction from the true element. Albanian way of life. Sure. And he also banned beards. Oh, boy. Because he, he was a guy. I'm de- He's just a guy, man. He's a guy who- I'm definitely interested in the notion of like a decoy or, or that kind of thing of having somebody that looks like you that's sort of, you know, f- I feel like right. famous people, people claim that Melania Trump is doing that all oh, the time. Oh, really? Like, yeah. I'm I've like, heard the, about really- that about Saddam and yeah. various oh, other yeah. people in history. But like something like that of like, you know, why not? Especially right. if you're not speaking necessarily. Well, I think that hit, like... I remember I first heard about this in terms of like Hitler lookalikes would go and do speeches in case Hitler got assassinated and then the real Hitler would be somewhere else. Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. Well, a lot of fun knowledge to go around there. Yeah. Last few notes about the movie just because I had to split it up Uh because there's a lot. This was the first Paramount film released on Blu-ray in 2008. Now, in the high definition format wars... Paramount was initially backing HD DVD, but they saw that the tide was turning and so they shifted to Blu-ray. So along with Face Off, they released Next and (laughs) B-Movie. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, those were the the first ones. Jerry Seinfeld's B-Movie. Yeah, totally. I read that Nicolas Cage did not want to see the grotesque face makeup when he has his face off. (laughs) So John Woo hid all the reflective surfaces on set because that makeup was pretty fucked up. When he's like, oh, I woke up, I my face off. He's like, I don't even want to see what I look like (laughs) he's like what what do you want take one fucking guess or one goddamn guess antiviral medications would be my one guess because i would love that i'm smoking a cigarette right now definitely infected he sits up straight like fucking (laughs) but like frankenstein anyway all right in early drafts of the script, Sean Archer went to Castor Troy's mother's place to hide out. Oh, really? And the writers wanted the mother to be played by Elizabeth Taylor or Jack Nicholson in drag. Because why? <laughs> what? Fuck. Why the that fuck would have that been even? an amazing choice in a movie full of amazing choices. It's, what the fuck? Like, just like the, what did, was that? Am I. Where are we? What? (laughs) Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, glad that didn't happen. I feel it would have been too distracting. There's so many distractions already. And finally, Gina Gershon and Nick Cassavetes, who plays her brother in the movie, the bald guy, they came up with the brother-sister kiss, that weird fucking kiss. Oh, yeah. And I guess Gina Gershon was saying that, you know, there's something so warped about each other. They just just love each other so much. Right, right. And in the Blu-ray, the 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 behind-the-scenes shit, it's clear that John Woo gave his people... You know, some, some freedom, leeway. some leeway to ad lib and stuff. But I guess she had also, Gina Gershon had also wanted to shave her head. And he was like, no, nah, not that though. That's a little too you much. You two can kiss, yeah, but yeah. a woman with shaved head, fuck that. Well, their kiss honestly like gives it this weird, it makes those characters feel like they are unique individual people in yeah. a way that like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I think it actually adds a lot to their characters without yeah. doing anything. Yeah. I, well, without them I seeing, mean, like, just like caricatures, it makes them seem like they actually have their own lives that are fucked up and unique and weird. Well, and I, I appreciate, that's actually like a really grown up and mature way to look at it because like, when I read something like that, I'm sort of like, 
Yeah, and not everybody's gonna fucking make a you know a scene for that. Like, not everybody's <laughs> gotta be like, this is the choice. Because I remember right. like th- every time I've seen this movie, it's this weird random moment. Like, it's been established that that's brother and sister, right, right. and I don't care who you are. Like, there's gonna be a part of you that's like, what the fuck are they kissing yeah. on the mouth for? Yeah, and for that to just be like an actor's choice, like they're complicated people. Right, it's right. a little bit. <laughs> it asks. It asks. A lot of the audience. Yes, it does. Anyway, but we'll get to that the next time when we talk about Cloud Atlas. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> up next week. So please rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us at ohthatsathing.com and on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at Itzajoyamiya on Instagram and Twitter. I'm so glad we talked about this movie. Yeah, me too. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman. This movie's so fun. Go watch it. If, yeah. you, if it's been a while since you've seen it, watch it again. Yeah. And we'll see you all here next week for Cloud Atlas, yeah. which is a movie that really hit it's me in my core, and I understand why so many people are put off by it when they first watch it. There's a lot of makeup choices. There's a lot of choices that are very unique that can take you out of the feeling of the movie, <laughs> but if you're able to go with it, right. it is quite an amazing experience. And still, there's also like much to pick from it, even oh, if, yes. if you're not down with the aesthetics. Anyway. So, with that, see you see then. See you then. <laughs> Bye. Bye.